The first question asked in Miller's Crossing is what separates us from animals. The first answer given is that the thing that separates us from animals is our predisposition to upholding a certain standard of ethics and character, this being a cornerstone to how we define human nature. And I think the mobster genre is an interesting space to explore this concept because of the way that human nature often intersects with the code of conduct that exists within the criminal underworld. Mob movies often operate in two different worlds, concerning the perspective of their protagonists. Their stories about those who are muscle, and then their stories about those in positions of power who leverage it. Goodfellas is about muscle, the grunts at the bottom of the mafia hierarchy. They follow orders given to them from up the chain, carry out hits, and ask as few questions as possible else they put themselves in a position to get made. What was I supposed to do? They were all over the house. Karen, that was worth $60,000. I need that money. That's all we got. They often do what they do simply for money, whereas a movie like The Godfather seats the audience directly at the top of that hierarchy. It's a mob document about people who are less concerned with money and more concerned with power. If Goodfellas is about the guys who do the dirty work, The Godfather is about the ones who pull the strings. I leave for New York tomorrow. Think about a price. Miller's Crossing exists at an impasse. It questions the nature of those who act, as well as the nature of those who tell others to act on their behalf. Some people simply do as they're told. These are often the characters who commit the most atrocious acts of violence throughout mob movies, and this movie in particular likens these types of individuals to being more akin to that of animals rather than people. There's an almost brain-dead sort of mindlessness inherent to how this violence is shown over the course of the film's action sequences. The shootouts are over the top and excessive. There's an almost arcadey brutality to a lot of it, removed from any sense of weightiness or realness, save a few more dramatic parts. This even extends to the film's non-gun violence. We witness Tom get beat up over and over and over again throughout the course of the film. The one thing grunts do well, without question, is animalistic violence, without cause to question the reason they commit these violent acts in the first place. The exploration of mob ethics is the major theme at the center of this film. It's an idea that's constantly brought up and questioned by Johnny Casper, one of the two major mob bosses in Miller's Crossing, the other boss being Leo O'Bannon. Now, if you can't trust a fix, what can you trust? For a good return, you gotta go betting on chance. And then, you're back with anarchy. Right back in the jungle. That's why ethics is important. What separates us from the uh, animals, the uh, beasts of burden, beasts of prey, ethics. Whereas uh, Bernie Birnbaum is a horse of a different color, ethics-wise. As in, he ain't got any. What's revealed through the film is the advantages and disadvantages of having ethics and subscribing to a moral code. Those with power, if they so choose, can concern themselves with ethics. The reason Casper sits down with Leo and announces his intentions to kill Bernie Birnbaum, a bookmaker who's been cheating him, and the reason Leo is able to reject that idea to his face is because of the power they both wield as mob bosses. So they can afford to make decisions based on character, or by love, or by their beliefs concerning how to handle overly ambitious bookies. But those without power, the little guy can't concern themselves with ethics, else they squander the possibility of having tactical advantages over their enemies. Twisted double-crossings, backstabbings, and the constantly shifting nature of relationships between friends and enemies are all recurring motifs inherent to the mobster film, to the mobster world. 
It's the reason why characters in Miller's Crossing, both grunts and bosses, are constantly asking each other, What's the rumpus? What's the rumpus? What's the rumpus? Well, Tom, what's the rumpus? But at its core, this question has different intentions based on who's asking. For the lower-level mobsters, what's the rumpus is fairly simplistic. Who do I need to kill? Who's my next target? Where does my muscle need to be exercised? But for those more cunning, those who gain their power from their mind rather than their muscle, what's the rumpus is a question of advantage. What's the rumpus? What's going on? What's the threat out there in the world, the world people like us occupy, that could inevitably end up concerning me? What's the rumpus so I can plan my next move accordingly? This is how Bernie thinks. It's his nature. In a world of tough guys, people like him rely on their wit, their shiftiness, and their craftiness, but also rely on the fact that they're often severely underestimated by their opponents. Bernie leans into this framework. He portrays himself as being the little guy, a small-timer, a nobody, when in reality he's one of the most cunning characters when it comes to playing the game. His unwillingness to subscribe to expected ideals of honor or ethics is what defines him. It's a lane, it's an angle that he's been able to carve out for himself. A way to gain an advantage over those more physically. Because monsters that concern themselves with ethics will always lose to monsters that don't. And this is the trick Bernie pulls on Tom when they first head out to Miller's Crossing. I'm afraid of you! Look at your heart! I'm afraid of you! Look at your heart! I'm praying to you! Look at your heart. I'm praying to you. Look at your heart. I'm praying to you. Look at your heart. I'm praying to you. Tommy's heart is the space where Bernie claims to see common ground between the two of them. They aren't the mindless animals who commit senseless acts of violence. They're cut from a different cloth. They're smarter. Despite working for mob bosses, Tommy never truly embraces the grunt lifestyle. It's the reason he gets beat up over and over again throughout the film, but never really fights back. To give in to that would be to truly lose his humanity, something he's still big on maintaining. In the first half of the movie, Tommy is still moved to do things simply because they're the right thing to do, in his eyes. He tells Leo that he's been sleeping with Averna despite the backlash he knows it'll cause, and he lets Bernie live when out in the woods because of the love he has for Verna, as well as the pity he feels for Bernie. It's only when Bernie uses Tom's own kindness to blackmail him, placing himself in a favorable position, that Tommy finally starts questioning how he's let ethics and morality slip into his decision-making. thing I want. I want to see Johnny Casper cold and stiff. That's what you'll do for your friend Bernie. In the meantime, I'll stay out of sight. But if Casper ain't stiff in a couple of days... I start eating in restaurants. There's something terrifying about a figure who plays bigger than they look. Bernie demonstrates a cutthroat ruthlessness that's something someone like Casper couldn't even dream of. Casper and Bernie in a lot of ways act as foils to one another. Their approach to situations, their internal human natures couldn't be more different. Casper is motivated by the ideals of good faith, respect, character, being an upstanding mobster. If such a thing even exists. He would rather live in a world where friends and enemies revealed themselves outright, a world with no double crossing. It's the reason he continuously calls out others for giving him the high hat, or showing him disrespect. Once again, this is born out of his position of power. If the mob world ran with this kind of transparency, figures like Casper wouldn't need to worry about losing that power. 
especially to crafty underlings like Bernie. And so Casper's ethical lens through which he analyzes the world is almost entirely self-serving. But what happens when one attempts to look outside of one's worldview, tries to assume a different nature? The general answer is that you often grow a sense of discontent. When Casper even thinks someone is double-crossing him, it makes his stomach physically turn. He can't think for the life of him why someone would say one thing but do or mean another. It's the reason he never kills Tom, much to the chagrin of the Dane. He made a deal with Tom, he won't go back on his word. Casper wholeheartedly believes that you should only ever do something if it's ethical. When he sees something that breaks that understanding, he can't comprehend it on an almost psychological level. Bernie, on the other hand, exists in the framework of being a grifter. He believes that you should only ever do something if you gain a tactical advantage from it, if it directly benefits you. It's this idealism that leads him to letting his guard down near the end of the movie when Tom convinces himself that they can pin Casper's death on the Dane, and that the thing that caused Tom and Bernie discontent no longer exists anymore. When Tommy double-crosses Bernie, it shatters his perspective. Bernie, for the life of him, can't understand why someone would do something if they don't gain an advantage from it. This fills I him with discontent as well. We're square. You said it yourself. We, we got nothing on each other. Yep. So, so what's in it for you? There's no angle. You, you can't just shoot me like that. Jesus Christ, it, it don't make sense. Miller's Crossing at its core is about human nature. Not an overarching human nature, but the nature of specific individuals and how they all exist within the same world. People have strengths and weaknesses and are often predisposed to simply play the hand they're dealt with. To cross over to another perspective is to leave yourself vulnerable. Casper dies at the end when he abandons his moral high ground to pursue a double cross on Mink. Verna, who has preached to Tommy again and again about his heart, when faced with the opportunity to kill him, can't. To do so would go against her own nature. The only person who was able to effectively change is Tommy. After seeing what having a heart gets him concerning his relationship with Verna and his ultimatum to Bernie, he abandons more compassionate sentiments to fully embrace violence, for the first and only time in the film. Look in your heart. Look in your heart. What hurt? We are a kind that is resistant to change. Whether it be change that demands something physical or mental of us, when our perspective is brought into question, we often turn up the thought of a world filled with possibilities we hadn't considered. Ever in flux is our minds and our hearts, carrying a great capacity for compassion that rivals our capacity for violence. It's a range, a spectrum tailored by each individual that serves as a lens, a vantage point through which we attempt to understand one another. We're smart, maybe too smart for our own good, fitted with an intelligence that can ultimately become our great betterment or our great undoing. That's what separates us from animals. Our ability to see the inherent nuances to life. Our ability to make choices based on morality or ethics or something else entirely. Our ability to understand. More than beasts of burden. More than beasts of prey.
Mind Theater is produced and written by me, Ao Akingbade, in collaboration with Muckraker Media. To subscribe, look for Mind Theater on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For updates on the show and upcoming episodes, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.